0: Where? And, and where, you? Where, you Thanks, yeah. where? where Thank you, Where do you live? No, no and we get oh,
1: the Here I have a shirt that broke on one of which is very important, but yes. No, I do. You Anything, <laughs> <laughs> Todd, Garner. Todd, Todd Garner just texted me and said that oh, they are watching and that they are looking forward to breaking <laughs> <laughs> so Todd Garner is watching. <laughs> Rick Cargavay <better> watching. Uh, <laughs> don't know,
2: Todd texted me though. Right. All right, gentlemen. <laughs>
3: David, I always pitch you know,
2: using
1: the is camera. Is that right? But now I get yeah, to see you. I'll sit in front of it if <laughs> you want <are>. to. <laughs> 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 I think we is like 38
0: degrees. Blessed you Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments, and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring, and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name, and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, special mention, uh, of course, to uh, my father-in-law, Henry. Whoop, whoop, whoop. He has been completely snowed by all of you. You've convinced him that you actually know the Bible. I can't figure out how that happened. (laughs) (laughs) But he does speak highly of you after he spends time with you, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, And I'm grateful Mm -hmm. to have him here. Um, My brother, my younger, my much younger, and not quite as good-looking brother, Fred.
3: (laughs) Woo! Fred! (laughs) Woo! Woo!
0: Much to my chagrin, everyone likes. But what can you be? It's
2: the hair. It is the, the hair, hair. <laughs> I know, I know.
0: <laughs> and of course, <laughs> representing Torah North and no, uh, yeah. also uh, Corvatis Canada, David McDonald. Woo! <laughs> yeah! Uh, and then finally, a, uh, a giant among men, um, a man who is just astoundingly polite and pleasant, and a man that I appreciate reading rebuttals from, Mr. Rob Van <laughs> Rob! Woo! <laughs> Rob. I know my father came a long way. I know my brother came a long way. But I think for the wedding, Rob gets the, uh, the prize, unless someone comes in from Venezuela. So uh, that's <laughs> good. Yes, sir.
1: My father also here. Yes.
0: I'm that's not done yet. My bad. You said finally. Guests that came to see me. It was now, an ultimate friend. In addition, <laughs> we have two more guests. I have my good friend and trained killer, Sean.
4: Sean. <laughs> <dad, laughs> up from
0: Florida for my pious son's wedding. And his son, Noah. Now you know, if you've taught here, This is not an easy crowd. But I knew if I asked Greg Upham to teach a class that he had already prepared so there was not a problem timing-wise that he would probably slide in under the wire and give us a great class. And I'm grateful for him. And if you're grateful, let him know. All right. uh, At the end of class, I'm going to ask you to speak up Because the (coughs) room is a bit wider than it normally is, and I want to get it on there. We have, remotely watching, in Germany, Jeremy, I'm really not sure about anyone who may be in the foreign country of Gastonia, (laughs) but I do know that uh, Todd Garner is watching. He uh, He just
1: sent me a photo with a room full of people watching. And there it is. So we've got
0: a whole room full of people over at Todd's watching that, too. So... Um, let's, uh, let's keep our conversation to a minimum between men, because it does carry, and uh, let us give Greg some attention in a moment, but first, I have a pious man that will light the candles for us. Until the pious man shows up. <laughs> <laughs> you. Oh, I <laughs> Yes, indeed. We can do it. Do we have
1: matches? That's in Super really fast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Are you recording yet? Oh, yeah. Good. Good? Good. The on.
3: This will be the first night. This is the first night. We have two blessings.
2: This is the last night that our single friend here will be lighting the candles. Woo! Oh!
3: <laughs> Good observation. Baruch atah Adonai, Elohim, Melech HaOlam, Asher, La Lik, Ne'er, Shel, Hanukkah. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments. He commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah light. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai, Elohim, Melech HaOlam, nisim bayamim haheim bazman hazek. Amen. 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 Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who has wrought miracles for our forefathers in those days of this season. Amen. 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 One more. And we get to do this one as well. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu, Malach Olam, Shehecheyanu, V'kiamanu, V'higiyanu, L'azman hazeh. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. Amen.
2: Amen. Where's your... Where's your... Where's your...
3: We lie with the shamash, right? tree. We do. That's what I was going to do. I want to make sure. That was the shaking of the package. Very nice,
0: uh, Thank you.
3: We have just one paragraph to read here. What does it read? It? These lights you kindle upon the miracles, the wonders, the salvations, and the battles which you performed for our forefathers in those days at this season through your holy priests. During all the days of Hanukkah, these lights are sacred, and we are not permitted to make ordinary use of them, but to look at them in order to express thanks and praise to your great name for your miracles, your wonders, and your salvations. Amen. Amen.
0: Gentlemen. great up. All right.
5: so the story here is, you know, last week I'm having dinner with... <laughs> with with Joseph, and he's like, hey, well, uh, you're going to be in class next week, and I said, like, yeah, well, how about you teach? Okay, <laughs> how about you teach on, well, you, teach on uh, you know, the whole you know, in science, and all of that, and, you know, the whole Christmas and Hanukkah thing, and I'm like, hey, we got visitors coming, right? <laughs> I see, you want me to offend everyone. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, now it 's always an honor and privilege and a blessing to uh, to be able to, and it's also humbling to be able to stand up in front of a such a you know, group of esteemed scholars as yourselves. You but um I originally put this uh, together I think it was three years ago when i when I did this teaching uh, originally, and my whole motivation then was simply you know for those of us who have been in whatever we call it, what we do, you know, uh, Messianic Judaism, uh, Torah, whatever, you know. Um, when, when we come into this movement, we often are introduced with a lot of new concepts on a whole host of subjects, but certainly for a lot of us, um, the, the idea of celebrating the feasts that are described in the, in the Bible become a, a key part and often is what initially, you know, draws us in, whether it's Passover or something like that. And we get uh, we get introduced to you know Hanukkah, you know juxtaposed against Christmas and Passover juxtaposed against Easter and all of these other all, you know all these other things, and um, it, it's good because it causes us to really think about you know um, holidays that we have been accustomed to celebrating and really making sure we take take inventory of what, why do we do what we do right. Uh, and one of the things that a lot of people coming into this um, walk get introduced to at some point is the concept that that Messiah Yeshua Jesus was not born on December 25th. Oh. That he was born um, at a different time of year, uh, and that can be you know uh, depending on you know how much of a Christmas fanatic you've been you know. Uh, that can, that can be a little bit of... It you know, can take you back a little bit, uh, or not, depending on you know your, your point of reference. But uh, you get introduced to this concept that maybe, perhaps, he was born at the time of Sukkot. Um, and as I've talked... Tabernacles. Tabernacle. Yes, thank you. I, I will probably use a lot of Hebrews, so and you guys will have to uh, make sure anybody who's uh, you know, not acquainted gets the translation. But um, what I have... To discover, talking with other people in this movement was when this topic would come up. Um, a lot of people were really not well versed or well equipped to really talk through it. Like they were, they understood and had been introduced to the concepts at some level, but really couldn't, um, really couldn't, you know, kind of uh, thread thread the needle, so to speak. So my motivation originally in putting this together was to help people through that. Okay, so um, so we're going to talk about. Sukkot and the birth of Messiah. Now, um, a couple of things up front. Um, While I believe that the scriptural evidence um, strongly supports this particular thesis, uh, I also understand that we can't be dogmatic about it. We can't pound our fist on the table and say conclusively with 100% confidence that this is how it happened we just we just don't have enough information although I believe and hopefully I'll demonstrate um, through the teaching that there's a lot of scriptural evidence that strongly points points that way in my opinion okay um, and so I'm going to go through uh, through the uh, through the the teaching some of you I mean obviously probably a lot of you heard this three year, years ago or when it was I did it uh, and some of you are familiar with it, so some of you may not be familiar with this. Some of this might be new for some of you. Uh, if you've got comments or questions, just jump in. Um, there are, uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of people um, that would agree with me in this particular view. There certainly are some that don't. And so what I'm going to try to do is, while I'm going through the material, I'm going to try to point out the counter arguments. Uh, for those who are in the camp that don't subscribe to this particular view. Um, and then you guys can kind of weigh the evidence at the end of it and make up your own mind. Your own Fair enough? Fair enough. Sounds okay. good. So, uh, mm. 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 mm.
2: mm-hmm. if you, you click your heels three times,
5: you uh, <laughs> deal. In it? Yeah.
3: it was
0: working here see. Pull it up, put
3: Low on it. <laughs>
4: David,
0: David can move uh, it forward as it's needed. if uh, the electronics uh, approved. <laughs> hey, you have the seat of honor here, David. <laughs> <laughs> how, about <if> you, uh, <laughs> how about if you hit escape and break <laughs> out of here? Yeah, what about, what about our
2: oh, I can't find it. Do you know
0: where it is? It's not in the
2: drawer. You right? just live in that drawer. I don't have the project the
0: phone. Was it working yeah. today? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It was working earlier. This has the uh, Apple TV remote. Really? Was well, one in my de- in my, uh, on my desk in right. there for I Brock's going to check technically for going to go find the thing on my desk?
4: How's he going to do that?
0: Yeah, just going to rummage around a little bit. Don't play with
4: any
3: handguns. There was a That's pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried a different port?
5: I only, this only has one USB. Really? Oh, Absolutely. no, no, hold on. I've got another I'll, I'll try this one. I, my wife? Oh. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Well, we'll keep him around. Yeah, so. yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all, right. all right. Okay, so Messiah birth. Um, you know, obviously it comes down to was he worn on December 25th, which is obviously the traditional Christmas, you know, um, uh, Christmas understanding, or was he born at Sukkot tabernacles, which for those who may or may not be familiar, Sukkot would typically fall in uh, September October on the calendar. Okay, obviously, I mean you guys already know my view, um, and so I've already made that uh, clear up front. But uh, I think that you know as we go through this, you guys will be able to to see if there definitely is some evidence to consider. The, the other thing to, to think about here is when we think about um, Christmas if we are if we're intellectually honest with ourselves about Christmas and if we know anything about Christmas and, 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 and let me also just state a front. my goal here is not to bash Christmas, okay I have a lot of <laughs> lovely people in my life that celebrate Christmas and and you know God bless them, right? And they love God just as much, probably more than I do. Okay, so it's not about bas- bashing Christmas or those who who may or may not celebrate Christmas. It's more just looking at the at the history and the facts, right? And if you look at um, the history of Christmas, it's 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 clear. We'll talk a little bit more about it later, but it's clear that um, there's not a lot of biblical basis for it. So, um, and particularly when you understand. Uh, Historically, you know, who was who was understood to have been born on December twenty-fifth. When you understand the history of that, um, it it almost, at least in my view, it almost becomes impossible that the Messiah of Israel would have been born on that day. You could almost pick any other day on the calendar other than December twenty-fifth when you understand the history of December of December twenty-fifth. Okay. So um, so you know we'll we'll talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> all that was, was, cool. was gross. <laughs> so, so, so,
0: so no no Christmas bashing. We're burning
2: this. <laughs> <thing out. laughs> That's a scene for the scene from the Chevy Chase movies. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. I
5: mean, so you, the question becomes, how you know how can we even how can we really how can we really know? And of course, I already stated we can't know with hundred percent certainty. But we, I think, we can know. There are some hints that, in my opinion, point um, pr- point pretty strongly. But it, it really starts with paying attention to small details in Scripture. Uh, you know, how many of us read various passages? whether it's in the apostolic writings or in the Tanakh the old testament very you know we read passages over and over and over again and there's details that we've read a thousand times and we've just never really paid attention to and you know anybody that's spent time with me knows and you've heard me say you know every detail in scripture is significant right. uh, and so we have to make sure that we keep those details in focus and that we don't just gloss over things okay and so how can we know the, the real key to understanding um, the chronology of the birth of Messiah? Really hinges on one word. And again, if you if, you know we've all read this word because we've read this particular passage many times, but how many of us have really actually paid attention to it or stopped and said, "Why is this here?" Right? Which is a good habit to get into. Right? When we're reading a passage, it's always good to ask, "Well." Why was it 153 fish that they pulled out of the net? Why not 171? Or I mean, just when, you, when we stop and kind of ask those questions, that, that's usually a good practice. Uh, but the one word that really is the linchpin here is the is the word abiyah. It's actually a name, uh, and it is the name of um, of a particular order of Kohanim of, of priests. And so we find a passage in um, Luke 1 verse 5 where it's written There was in the days of Herod, the king of Yehuda, a certain Kohen named Zechariah Zachariah, of the priestly division of Abiyah There's our little detail that we've read many times. In English Abijah okay.
0: Abijah, if you're, yes. Reason in English and never and, yeah. It just sounds like bad.
5: <laughs> He had a wife, whoops, whoops. Oh. Oh, back up, back up, back oh. up, trying, you know. hang on, how nice. do we know? <laughs>
0: sorry, know? Oh, here we go, left, right, left, okay,
4: behind, right, uh, right.
5: right, uh-oh, there it is, <laughs> there we go. How many? Right. That was great. a good review. Okay, so he had a wife um, of the daughters of Aharon, Aaron, and her name was, I Elizabeth. Now it happened while he executed the his office before God in the order of his division. So we have another little phrase here, in the order of his division. So this right here we've read multiple times in the in the Luke account and we often just passed over it. But every detail is significant, right? Why is understanding the division of priests that Zechariah and Zechariah was part of, why is that important? How does that help us? Well, If we understand um, the uh, the order, the order of the priests, then that can help us understand or establish when Zechariah was serving in the temple when he had his visitation with the angel Gabriel. Okay, and if we uh, can determine that, then we can uh, determine when. John the, the Baptist, or the, or the immerser, uh, he was not baptized <laughs> uh, when he was conceived. <laughs> okay, well, why do, why would we care about that? Because if we can determine when John uh, was conceived, then by definition we can determine when he was born. And if we can determine when John was born, then we can from there we can have a pretty good idea of when when Yeshua Hamashiach, uh, Yeshua the Messiah was was born. Okay. So that word, aviyah, becomes sort of the, the key that unlocks kind of all the all the details here. So uh, in order to fully appreciate that we, we need to step back and and just kind of talk through the levitical orders of the priest Give a little bit of context so that you guys can understand uh, how the orders were structured, how they operated, because uh, that will help help connect dots here. Okay, so it turns out that we have uh, recorded for us in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, uh, where David Hamelik, King David, lays down the order of the the orders of the Kohanim. There's 24 divisions of the priesthood, and you can see here. That Abiyah is listed as number eight. Okay. Um <laughs> right
2: so, before Yeshua. That's funny.
5: Yeah, this, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, <laughs> the ninth order is the order of Yeshua. But uh, Abiyah is the eighth order of Kohanim according to the scripture. Um, and and, and uh, this is significant for, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, David didn't just make these up, right? I mean, he just didn't kind of arbitrarily make up the orders of the Koine. Uh We we have a scripture in First Chronicles twenty-eight that describes how um, David gave to Solomon, gave to Shlomo his son, all the details for the construction of the temple. Uh, you, know, uh, the, you know the the uh, design the layout, uh, the architecture, all the details were given from David to Solomon, including, according to this, uh, this passage, including the operation of the, the priest, which included the 24 uh, divisions of the priesthood. And this passage specifically says that it was given to him by the, by the Spirit or through the Spirit. In other words, this was all by divine inspiration through the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, so, none of it is just you know um, happenstance or circumstance or or coincidence. Um, it was all by divine providence, as it were. Okay.
0: Hammelik is the king, David the king,
5: correct? Now, um, here's one point where folks who disagree with this view point to a weakness, and they say, "Well." Um, They will say, "Well, you know, we don't really know uh, because this 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 argument, (coughs) my position, is premised on the the idea that, and you'll see this in just a minute, uh, that each division of the priesthood would serve chronologically. So, uh, you know, the first division served first, and then the second division, and the third division. And so, it's it's premised on um, a." on each priesthood serving, uh, serving on the temple in their chronological order according to the numbering of their divisions. Uh, some people would, would say, well, but we have no, we have nothing in any of the rabbinical literature that explicitly says that's how they operate. So, therefore, we can't really know that, and so we can't really, uh, you know, we, this doesn't work Okay, so that's that's an argument from folks who would have a, a different uh, view. Um, they're right, as far as I know. They're, there is nothing in the rabbinic uh, writings, whether it be uh, Talmudic discussion or other places that I've found, where it explicitly says that the first order served first and the second order served second, etc. But uh, everything that I have found, uh, it it it... it The consensus is that that's how that's how that's how it worked, and um, just even even in these few passages that we looked at, the way it's even phrased in text itself sort of infers that. Okay, but again, I said at the beginning that I would try to point out as we go through this where people where some people would say here's a weakness to the argument. Okay, so there's there's one weakness from. From from others who would disagree with this view, okay. Um, That's an argument from silence, though, right? It is
0: because it's not a bad thing always. It's not a bad thing always. Okay. Mm.
5: Thank you.
0: I <laughs> should be silent. So.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but the point is, the orders are divine. They're divinely inspired and given to um, David according um, according to his spirit. <laughs> based on the uh, actual scriptural um, evidence that we have here. Now, it turns out that every order of Kohanim would have two weeks of service in the Temple. Uh, They would serve one week. Each order would serve one week in the first half of the year. They would serve another week in the second half of the year. So each order of of Kohanim would serve a total of two weeks of regular service. Um, and there's some uh, references for you on on that Um, and then in addition uh, every order of Kohanim would serve uh, for each of the Schloss Regalim or the pilgrimage festivals okay so we have three pilgrimage festivals Pesach, Passover, uh, Shavuot, Pentecost, Pentecost, Sukkot, Yes, sir. Uh, just by the
1: way, I wanted to point out on the references there, 1st Cron, obviously, is the Bible. But B. Tanit 26, that's the Talmud. Yes. Anyone who... That's the Talmud, Talmud. Talmud. Babylonian Talmud, and then the, that's the reference page. You can find it, just in case that was weird. Um,
5: so every order of priests would, would uh, be required to be serving on the temple, or uh, in the temple, for each of the pilgrimage feasts, according to Deuteronomy 16. Why? Well, because we have a command in the Torah that every Israelite male of age was required to go up to, to Jerusalem, specifically up to the temple, uh, in order to present an offering to the Lord uh, for those particular um, uh, holidays. And so you would have pilgrims coming from all the surrounding countryside flooding into Jerusalem to participate in the festivities um, in accordance with the Torah requirement. So therefore, um, just given the sheer volume of visitors and, and and activity going on, all of the all all of the uh, divisions of the Kohanim would be you know required to be on duty, all hands on deck, right? So we end up with um, Two weeks of regular service, three weeks of um, service for the Schloss Regalim. So every order of, of um, priests would, uh, would serve approximately five weeks out of the year. Okay? And even, and, and what's interesting as we do a little research on this is um, by the time we get to the Second Temple time period and the time of uh, Yeshua and the disciples and so forth. Uh, the priests, the the, the the ranks of the coninium have actually grown pretty big, so we've got a lot of priests at the time, um, and so what they did is they actually took each order of priests, subdivided each order into seven families, and your family would serve one day out of the week that you were not that your order of priesthood was on was on duty. So. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the work volume was spread out pretty, pretty good, um, but it was a total of five weeks um, that each uh, order would serve. Service would begin at Shabbat and end on the following Shabbat. So, uh, an order of priests would come on duty at sundown Friday night, they would go off duty, and the next order would begin their duty at sundown the following Friday. So, it went from Shabbat to Shabbat. That's how they would. Um, that, that's how they would. That's how the shifts would work. Um, and so that kind of gives you an idea of the operation of the the orders of the priests. Okay. Well, so why do we why do we care? How does this really help us know when um, Zach was serving? Okay. Well, we can. We can count, okay, we can, we can if we know the order that he belonged to and we have an, an understanding of how they operated, then we can literally count off the service and we can probably have a pretty good idea of when Zechariah was serving at the time that he had his visitation from the angel, okay, and so we're going to do that. And so... We know that the religious year begins in um, the, month, the Hebrew month of Mavi, or also known as Nisan. Not to be confused with the Rosh Hashanah in the fall.
0: Or with Nisan the <coughs> Yes,
5: Yes, yeah, this, is, this is the religious beginning of the religious calendar, which is in the spring. Um, Aviv which falls in March, April, depending on, uh, depending on the year. And that's according to Exodus chapter 12. So if we, start, if we just start counting, okay, we would start in week one of the month of Aviv, uh, again we're in March-April on our Gregorian calendar, and um, the first order of Kohanim would have served that week, okay? and again this is the beginning of the religious year. Uh, week two uh, would have taken us through uh, roughly the 14th of Aviv.
0: For those that are unfamiliar with, I mean, you're you're putting a Hebrew month down, Aviv, but you're putting down two English, or Gregorian calendar months. Yes. And just to make sure everybody is clear, the Hebrew months are on the lunar calendar, but ours are on the solar calendar. So there's 12 months in in the the regular calendar, uh, but on God's calendar, there's usually 12, 12 or 13 depending on what if we have a leave month stuck in there so but they're 30 days each and ours are 29 30 31 you know that kind of deal exactly but it floats
5: yeah good so week two uh would have taken us through the 14th of aviv um and that would have been the the second order of kohanim this by the way would have been uh the week that we uh, select our land for passover right when does that happen the 10th of aviv according to the torah so we would have picked our lamb for Passover. Okay, Then we get to uh, week three, which actually would have been the week of Passover or, or unleavened bread. So this is our first Schloss Regulim. This is our first um, pilgrimage feast. So all the orders of the priesthood would have been on duty, Zach included, would have been working uh, that particular week. Then as we keep going, week four, um, would have taken us um, would have been uh, would have fallen to the third order of Kohanim. This also would be the first week of the counting of the Omer. Uh, week five, we're now in the Hebrew month of Yir, uh which is roughly April May on the Gregorian calendar. Would have fallen to the fourth order of Kohanim, second week of the Omer. Uh, week six uh, falls to the fifth order of the priests, third week of the Omer. Uh, week seven falls to the sixth order of the priests fourth week of the Omer, and then we get to week eight, which would have fallen to the seventh uh, order of the priests, uh, and the, what was that, the fifth week of the Omer? Or actually, I'm sorry, it would be the sixth week, because the you know, are actually starts during the week Passover. And then the following week, which is week nine of the year, this, we're now in the Hebrew month of Sivan, uh, which is roughly May, June, on the Gregorian calendar, and this is the week of Shavuot, of Pentecost. Okay, This is the second pilgrimage feast, and so all orders of the Kohanim would have been on duty, including Zach. Okay? And I believe that it was during the week of Shavuot when Zachariah uh, had the opportunity and the privilege to go in and offer up the incense on the golden altar. I believe that's when he had his visitation from the angel. Um, I'll I'll share some some reasons why I believe that's the case in in a minute. Uh, but the point is, he would have been on on duty that week, okay. And then as we continue to move forward, week ten of the year would have fallen to the eighth order of Kohanim. Oh, that's the order, the division okay. of Binyamin. Okay. So it turns out. Then, in all likelihood, Zach actually served two weeks back to back. Pulling he, a double shift there. What's that? He's pulling a double shift, huh? That's right, that's right. So he would have been, uh, he would have served for the week of Shavuot, and then his week of regular service was immediately following. Okay? And then he, uh, the, the 11th week of the year, um, is when he would have gone off duty and returned home. And this is when I believe. His wife Sheila Elizabeth conceives. Okay, and and oh, uh, we're about to kind of dive into that a little bit a little bit more. Everybody with me so far?
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Okay. So now we understand why that you know understanding that Zach belongs to the eighth order of mm-hmm. We understand why that's significant. Okay. Now, uh, why do I believe that? his visitation happened on Shav- the week of Shavuot. Pentecost. Okay. Pentecost. Uh, and by the way, whether I'm right or wrong about that doesn't change the chronology at all. In other words, whether the visitation happened the week of Shavuot or the following week of his regular service doesn't change the chronology at all. But, uh, but the reason I believe that uh, it happened on Shavuot Is there seems to be a few things um, in the account that, that at least in my opinion, kind of lead that way. Okay, so let's look at some evidence. We have a we have a verse in Luke chapter one verse ten where it is written, the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Okay, Um, to me that phrase "whole multitude" is is interesting because that implies that. You know, we don't have just like the faithful few kind of standing around, you know, they're always at the temple hanging out. It it implies that we have a large gathering, a large crowd, um, a uh, myriad of individuals who are there. That makes sense to me if it's Shavuot, because that's a pilgrimage feast. We know that, you know, there would be big crowds gathered because... Everybody was coming up to the temple for the festival in uh, obedience to the Torah command. So you would expect to have a, a large multitude uh, uh, gathered to you know celebrate, participate in the uh, the different uh, festivities and the temple services. Okay, so that's that's kind of evidence uh, evidence number one that that court of the Israelites would have been packed. Probably the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women would have been too, but most definitely the court of the, of the Israelites would have been packed, standing remotely. Okay. Um We have another verse uh, later in the same chapter where it's written the people were waiting for Zechariah and they marveled that he delayed in the temple. So this phrase, the people were waiting, is interesting. What were they waiting for? The blessing. Exactly. So they're waiting for him to finish his uh, ceremonial duty in the holy place, come out, raise his hands over the over the over the worshipers, and give the Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessing or sometimes referred to as the Aaronic benediction. Okay? That was a big deal, and for anybody, uh, and it's still a big deal, even to this day. If you are in Israel during Sukkot or during Passover, um, if you happen to be there that week, if you go up to the Kotel, to the Western Wall, on the Sunday that falls in the middle of those, those weekly festivals, uh, they do the Birkat Kohanim, they do the pri- priestly blessing, and it is... Standing remotely, you're packed in like sardines, and everybody's there waiting for the the priest to come out and bless um, the people and put the name of Hashem on the people uh, as as uh, as they're commanded to according to the Torah. Okay, and you know I've had the uh, honor and privilege of actually experiencing that. Uh, It's really really cool, and I know you know several other folks in the room have had that. Experience as well, and if you haven't had that experience, highly recommend it. So, uh, so we have. Um, so we have again this kind of um, language that, to me, seems to denote we've got you know this big crowd. They're all waiting with anticipation, and that speaks to me of of one of the shlosher which, in this case, given the chronology, would have been a Okay, um, and if you think about it put yourself in the story here right? Zach, we know from the account that's recorded in, in Luke's gospel we know that the lots fell to Zach that particular year uh, and, and, and again just to put that in context um, given that you only served five, five weeks out of the year and given that we know by the time we get to the second temple, your family only served one day out of the week that you're on duty, okay, the likelihood that you would get the opportunity to actually go into the holy place and offer, you know, the incense on the golden altar or, or, um, or kindle the menorah or something like that in the holy place, the, the likelihood that you would get to do that. Was probably a once or maybe twice in your career as a priest, so it was a big deal. This is like uh, this is this is most assuredly a highlight of Zachariah's um, you know career as a as a priest. Maybe he had had the opportunity to do it once before, but regardless, this was a special occasion. Okay, so you can imagine he's he is super pumped, super excited he gets the opportunity to go into the holy place. He goes into the holy place. We know from the account, he begins to uh, offer up the incense on the golden altar. Then, lo and behold, the angel Gabriel appears to him, sort of startles him, right? And then and then, uh, tells him that uh, hey, the tread of Isaac. <laughs> uh, you know, And the angel Gabriel announces to him that, hey, your wife is going to conceive and bear a son, and you are to name him Yochanan." And, of course, we know from the scripture that that was significant because we know that that both Zechariah and Elisheva were uh, were up in years. We know that uh, Elisheva had been barren all of her life, okay? So we have another example, and we know that you know, the scripture that's not in particular is full of examples of righteous Jewish women who were barren where God miraculously opens their womb and they have their, they're able to bear children later in life. You know, or not always later in life, but able to bear children at some point. This is just another example in that same pattern, okay, but very very significant uh, to Zachariah so we know from the account he questions the angel because he's somewhat can this really happen you know and it's like come on Zach you know you, you've read all the other accounts surely doesn't happen but yet he questions he questions the angel and we know the consequence was that of that was that the angel muted him okay so so now put yourself in the story he finishes his business in the holy place he comes back out knowing that there's this massive crowd anxiously awaiting for him to come out and give the Birkat hakohanim and he cannot say a word and the account you know, we know from the account that they obviously determined that he had had some sort of visitation or, or vision or experience um, but you know it was an awkward kind of moment on a whole, for a whole host of reasons right so, nevertheless, um, it, it, and, and by the way, the other reason why I think this also happens on Shavuot is because it, it fits with what Shavuot is all about. Shavuot is all about God visiting his people. It's all about God revealing, bringing divine revelation. right? Obviously, the two most noted examples in, in scripture of this would be um, you know uh, the first example would be when we stood at the foot of the mountain of Har Sinai and Hashem comes down and gives us the Torah. That happened on Shavuot, right? And we read the account in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, and you know just the you know there was lightning and thunder and smoke and a shofar blast. I mean just this this really cool. Um, Experience that was just kind of this shock and awe, right? And and God visited His people in such a way that it has ever since it left an in, 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 you know uh, uh, an impression on the soul of Israel and, for that matter, the entire planet. Okay, uh, because He didn't reveal the Torah to just Israel, uh, at least in my opinion. So. um, That's the first example of God bringing revelation and divine visitation on Shavuot. The other, of course, uh, famous example would be Acts chapter 2. Same day, 1,500 years later, we have the disciples of the Master Yeshua gathered in Jerusalem. Why are they there?
1: Because that's where they're
5: supposed to be, according to the Torah, because they're there to celebrate the feast. They're, They're gathered in one accord, not the vehicle, and uh, they are, nice. they are worshiping, uh, and we know the account, right? We know that the spirit of God, the Ruach Hakodesh, um, was poured out upon them. And when you read the description in Acts chapter two and compare it to the description in Exodus nineteen, there's a lot of similarities. Okay, um, that was another um, famous example from the Scripture of God visiting His people and uh, bringing revelation on Shavuot. That is the point of Shavuot. So it makes sense to me that if God's going to visit Zach, no better time to do that than on the Moed, Hebrew word meaning appointed time. time, than on the Moed of Shavuot because that's what that's all about. Okay. So to me all of the evidence um, seems to push that way. Okay.
1: So, but it's, I would say on the last point, those other ones could be true of the other pilgrimage piece. Is that right? What, what could be true? Well,
0: the, the fact that you have multitudes there and that they're looking for the Aaronic blessing.
5: Yes, that could be sure. true. Um, yeah, absolutely. So right. there would be throngs of people gathered on any of the three pilgrimage And places. he would
1: be serving that week
5: as well, right? He would be on deck. Yeah. Yes. So it
3: wouldn't matter that his division was up, up, yeah. Because it's every, everywhere, priest would be there. All of Yep. Of right. Correct. But his his order doesn't. He is uh,
5: consecutive with children, children Right. Yeah. That's yeah, but, but you're right. right. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, so carrying this forward now to the conception of birth of Yochanan, uh, we have in Luke chapter one. Where it is written, and it happened when the days of his service, who's the his? We're still talking about Zatari. Uh, when the days of his service were completed, he departed to his house. Verse 24, after these days, Sheba his wife conceived. So to me, it's pretty clear. He finished, you know, he had the visitation, whether it happened during Shavuot, which is my view, or whether it happened happened the following following week when he was just on his regular uh, week of service, regardless of which week it happened, it happened, and he completed his service, and then he went home, and after he arrived home is when Elisheba conceived. Okay, now um, and that of course makes sense because obviously he has to be there for that to happen, right? But it is how things have happened. Things have happened. We do have one, maybe two uh, uh, maybe three precedents, but uh, in the normal course of events, right? Uh, so he completes his regular service. Um, he returns home the second week of, um, or he would have been done by the second week of Sivan, returns home, which means that Sheba probably conceives... In the third week of the month of Sivan. Okay. Now, what's that? Which is what? I'm sorry. Uh, May, june Well, uh, June, probably June, typically mid-late June. Yeah. So now, people who would uh, argue with my particular view would point to this and say, "Well, okay, we know that she conceived after he returned home, but we don't know that he she conceived immediately after." You know. She could have conceived two months, three months, two years, five, you know, what, It been any amount of time. True, it, it could be. But in my opinion, your mileage may vary, uh, the context
2: seems to suggest that it happened after he... Plus, you also died. have to think about the author of this particular book, Uh, Luke is very much into chronology. He likes telling his stories. He likes putting timing markers in there. This happened and this happened and this happened. happened. So it makes more sense for it to be, um, you know, fairly rapid-fire because if it had been a long enough time period he would have probably dropped another timing marker in there. After these days, around the time of this holiday or during the reign of so-and-so, or whatever. Well, and, and if you again, if you
5: put yourself in the story, right? Here's a man, a righteous man, blameless according to the law, is what the Scripture says, who has no children. And now he's just been told in this miraculous visitation, in this very special and unique event, that his wife is going to conceive. I'm not thinking... He's 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 going to wait too long to test to test that hypothesis, right? <coughs> Just me. But the first thing he does when he gets home. What's that? The first thing he does when he gets home. Yeah, you know. So this whole time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really my my current view is that she conceives the third week of the month of savan. Okay, everybody with me still? Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, so if we know when she conceives then by definition we can then determine when Yokanan was born we would go 9 months from the 3rd week of the Hebrew month of Sivan which would put us at the 3rd week of the Hebrew month of Avi or Nisan which would be okay well gee that makes sense right why would that make sense
0: because he was a forerunner, a forerunner of Messiah, but more importantly, he was in the spirit of Elijah. And
5: Eliyahu, the door is kept open for him and facing him. Exactly. So we know from Ooh. multiple scriptures in both the Gospels and in the Tanakh that uh, Yokanon, in fact, Messiah Yeshua says, Yohanan is Eliyahu, if you can believe it. Mm. Different class. That's a class. <laughs> it's a different class. <laughs> 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 on, was a class. So, and, and yes, that is significant because we, anybody who has celebrated Passover or at least participated in a Passover Seder knows that we always leave a plate at the table for the prophet Elijah because we are expecting him, according to Jewish tradition, to show up on Passover.
1: We've
5: been him and so, and so, the fact that we have Yochanan, who is a type and a shadow of Elijah the prophet, being born on Passover, duh. <laughs> because what is what what, what was Elijah? You know, the fact that Messiah says he is Eliyahu, um, in my opinion, does not mean he was literally Eliyahu. But he certainly came in the spirit of Eliahu. What does that mean? It means he came with the same, similar ministry, similar purpose. What was the ministry of Elijah? Preach repentance, prepare a way for the for the Lord. Wear funny clothes. And, uh, and yeah, he's a little strange, right? Camel and is exactly that. So the fact that he would be born at Passover, that all lines up. That's That really feels and smells a lot like what God would do. Just my opinion.
2: Okay. Okay. Plus also Passover is a really good time for barren women to give birth. According to one tradition, Isaac, Abraham's Isaac, is also born at Passover. So mm-hmm. you've got barren Sarah giving birth late to mm-hmm. Isaac. Then you see you know, kind of a repeat. God likes to use the same... Uh, patterns
5: yeah well there's a reason why the feast are called Moedim, appointments God meets with his people consistently on those appointed times mm-hmm. if you go back and look at almost all things significant significance yeah that's the right where I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I'm looking all things significant in the history of, of Israel. That almost always happen on one of the modim. Because that's the purpose of modim. Okay. Now, um, so how does this all connect back to Messiah? Okay, so let's, let's keep going here. We have another verse in the same account. After these days, Elisheba, his wife, conceived, and she hid herself for five months okay so we have a we've got a hint here in the text five months okay well if she conceived in the third month of Sivan if you go forward five months right that will put you in the third week of the Hebrew month of Heshvan, which is the month that we just finished okay and then we have another verse okay uh, same chapter next verse It is written, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of the Galilee, to Nazareth, to a virgin. The virgin's name was Miriam. So now we have have Zach completes his service, goes home, she conceives, hides herself for five months, and then one month later, in the sixth month, And this is a key thing because a lot of people read that and they think in the sixth month of the year. No. Contextually, it's in the sixth month of Elisheba's pregnancy. Okay? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel appears to Miriam. And we know the story. He says, guess what? You found favor in the eyes of Hashem, and you are going to conceive and bear a son and you'll name him Yeshua that happens in the 6th month of Elisheva's pregnancy Mm -hmm. if the 5th month is the month of Heshvan then the 6th month has to be um, the following month which would be voila happy Hanukkah so we have another verse here Behold, Elisheva, your relative, also has conceived. And this is the sixth month with her, right? This is verse 36. This is verse 26. Ten verses later confirms that the sixth month is referring to the sixth month of Elisheva's um, pregnancy. Okay. So, yes, the sixth month of Elisheva's pregnancy would be the third week of Kislev, which is right now, Hanukkah. I contend and submit that... Messiah was conceived miraculously at Hanukkah okay other than being really cool that also makes sense too when you understand Hanukkah okay now everybody still with me yeah so if we know that Messiah was conceived if Miriam if Miriam had her visitation at Hanukkah was Hanukkah? Was Hanukkah a festival we were all practicing at this time? Yes, Yes. absolutely. So if the angel appeared to her at Hanukkah and she conceived, by definition we now know when the Messiah would have been born, right? And he obviously would have been born nine months later, which would be the third week of the Hebrew month of Tishri, which would be Sukkot. That falls in September, October on the Gregorian calendar. Okay? Um, So, this makes a ton of sense when we understand what the Festival of Sukkot is about. Who, Who wants to give me a couple of themes, prominent themes, associated with the Feast of Tabernacles? Anybody? God dwelling with his people. God dwelling with his people. That is eight. That is of the primary things. Water?
0: Water? It's a remembrance that he had us
2: tabernacle mm-hmm. in the wilderness
0: when he redeemed us.
2: Indeed. From the issue. And it's also an um, allusion to the um, temporary tabernacle of being in this body, in this world. Exactly. So... The key key thing, though, the key, the
5: dominant theme of the Feast of Tabernacles is this whole idea of God dwelling, God tabernacling with his people. Well, okay, uh, what better partial fulfillment of that festival than having the Messiah of Israel show up at the Feast of of Sukkot? You know, of that, that picture of God physically dwelling with his people. Okay, now a couple of other uh, clues uh, in the in the scriptures. If we think about, if we continue the account, right, we know that when um, when Yosef and Miriam got to um, Bethlehem, there, there was no room in the inn or the house, depending on your translation, right. Well, okay, that that also could make sense if we're talking about Sukkot, because Sukkot is also a
0: Pilgrimage Pilgrim. Pilgrim.
5: Pilgrim feast. Which means we had people coming from all around coming up to Jerusalem. So probably every spare bedroom, every vacant whatever was probably taken because of all of the people coming up for the feast. Okay? So that could be one explanation as to why there was no room in the house. Right? That's that's another piece of you know of, of evidence potentially that, that supports the idea of Messiah being born at Sukkot. Um, we know from this from the scripture that he was laid in a manger feeding trough.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Okay. Feeding trough implies animals. Mm-hmm. Animals imply probably a barn or a stable
4: mm-hmm.
5: or a stall or something like that. Okay? That's an important hint, an important clue in my opinion, because we have a verse in the Torah, verse 33, where it's written, Yaakov traveled to Sukkot, built him a house, and made shelters for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. The word shelters in the Hebrew is the word Sukkot. So we have the Torah defining a stable as a sukkah. So we have the Messiah of Israel physically coming to the planet as it were, at the time of Sukkot, and being born in a sukkah makes a lot of sense to me, you know? Just, just saying. So, um, but we have a definition in the Torah that a stable qualifies as a sukkah.
2: Mm. Go ahead. Yes, sir. This may be a but uh, historically, the Romans tended also to do the censuses at one of the times of the uh, pilgrimage festivals, because all the Jews were going to be in one place anyway. There
5: you go. Oops. Oops. Um, and the angel said to them do not be afraid for behold I bring good news of great joy Luke 2 so this is the angels appearing to the shepherds who are attending their flocks you know uh, on the hills outside of Bethlehem and besides, this, this idea of uh, good news of great joy to me that's also that's also likely Sukkot speak Because what is another name for the festival of Sukkot? The time of our joy. Zman Sumchatenum. The time of our joy. So, hey, at the time of our joy, here's some good news for you, all right? Your Messiah has arrived. The King of Israel has come, okay? So, it all seems to fit... um, and then we have famous passages from jo- from John's uh, Gospel in chapter 1 and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us or dwelt among us depending on your translation. The idea that if Messiah Yeshua is the Word of God incarnate, right? He is the Word of God that has taken up um, residence in a temporal sukkah, right? A, 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 a body Um just another sort of clue that sort of continues to emphasize this theme of Sukkot. Okay. Um, Does this make sense to anybody besides me? (laughs) Yes, sir. So, by the way, if Messiah was born on the first day of Sukkot, then when was he circumcised? On the eighth day. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of is a literal fulfillment of the commandment in Leviticus to circumcise your son on the eighth day, Hmm.
2: as opposed to an eighth day. Because Sukkot's the only holiday that has eight days. Well, it's not really Sukkot anymore. It's the only holiday that's actually called the eighth day. Right.
5: So a little speculative there, but kind of cool nonetheless, right? It it, it, It was cool to the extent that he was born on the first day of the festival, that would have been worse. Should be the answer. Literally. You will circumcise your sons on the eighth day. Um, So this is why my view is that the overwhelming scriptural evidence strongly supports the idea of Messiah being born at Sukkot. Okay. Um, so, let's circle back to, to Christmas for just a few minutes, okay? And, and again, as I stated before, my, my, my intention is not to, you know, to bash Christmas or whatever, just simply to make sure we have some, some we just look at it uh, factually, okay? And we know, uh, again, if we're, if we're intellectually honest, we know that the origins of Christmas are <clears throat> pagan. That's well documented. I don't I don't need to spend a lot of time, you know, uh, Mr proving that. That's there's a lot of a lot of documentation wow. on that. I, I have included just a couple of um, just a couple of citations, this first one being right out of Encyclopedia Britannica, right? Mm. So if you want to know that. you want to know the, the Encyclopedia Encyclopedia Britannica who I guess in theory anyway is sort of a, just an objective source of information you know, they say the traditional customs connected with Christmas have developed from several sources as a result of the coincidence of the celebration of the birth of Christ with the pagan agricultural and solar observations at midwinter in the Roman world the Saturnalia, December 17th was the time of merrymaking and exchange of gifts December 25th was also regarded as the birth date of the Iranian mystery god Mithra the Sun of Righteousness, oh, okay, S-U-L-E-N, that yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, according to this entry in Encyclopedia, you know, the, the idea of December 25th is really tied to um, sun god worship, the birth of Mithra, uh, in, other, in other ancient cultures, it was the god went by a different name, it may have been Apollo in Greek mythology, it may have been Ray in Egyptian mythology, it was Tammuz and, you know, Chaldean, you know, same god, different name. But they, they were all born, or understood to have been born, um, on December 25th or around the winter solstice. Okay. Um, one more entry uh, from Collier's Encyclopedia. The choice of December 25th was probably influenced by the fact that on this day the Romans celebrated the Mithraic feast of the sun god, Natalis Solis Invicti, And that the Saturnalia also came at this time. Okay, so just, you know, I mean, you can just go, there's a lot of information out there. The point is this. If we're intellectually honest, the idea of um, Christmas as it's currently understood, the idea of December 25th, has no biblical basis at all. It is born out of largely um, pagan tradition and pagan customs. That's just the fact. So, um, so my my point in sharing that is, if we are, if our goal is to live a, a you know a live life more aligned with Scripture as opposed to less aligned with Scripture, then we should ask ourselves, if I don't have any, it's, you know, we can we could we can. Obviously, do the same thing with Easter, right? I mean, there's nothing in the in the scripture regarding Easter. Um, it's all it's got similar pagan roots. Okay. Um, the The most common um, argument that I that I hear from people, right, and and um, is this it typically goes something along these lines. Well, okay, yeah. Maybe maybe Christ wasn't born on December 25th. Yeah, I understand that you know Santa Claus and elves and reindeer and you know and you know all that stuff has nothing to do with Scripture and um, you know uh, it, yeah there's probably some pagan stuff in there but that's not why I celebrate it.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I I don't believe in any of that stuff. I'm just trying to honor the birth of my Lord and Savior. Okay, I mean there's certainly nothing wrong at all in honoring the birth of Messiah Yeshua no problem with that although there's no biblical evidence that that's what the apostles did or even the early church fathers in fact I think there's some evidence that the early church fathers sort of discouraged the practice it didn't actually become prominent until about the 4th or 5th century common era but regardless there's nothing inherently wrong with saying I want to honor the birth of my Messiah okay and, and it doesn't mean for me personally it doesn't mean pagan stuff and whatever yeah I understand that may be the root of it that's not what it means to me and, and there are and people are very sincere in that you know and, and I have I've got people that I love very dearly that that's their view God bless him, right? My only uh, retort to that would be to go back to um, the account in Exodus to the to the story of the golden calf, right? We remember the story. Mo goes up on the mountain. He's been he's been missing for forty days. We start to panic. My gosh, what happened to Mo? got to kill him? And we're going to die out here in the desert. What are we going to do? <laughs> Let's make a golden calf. Okay? So we take off all our jewelry, whatever. And the jewelry somehow ends up in the fire and out jumps the golden calf. <laughs> and Aaron stands up and says, Tomorrow, a feast to Adonai.
4: Hmm.
5: Not a feast to the golden calf. A feast to the God of Israel, Adonai. So we are going to worship the golden calf in honor of Adonai. Right? Doesn't work that We know how we know what got God thought of that of that. He was not impressed. <laughs> okay. So to me it's it's um, it's not it shouldn't be about what it means to me. It should be more about what does it mean to him? Because he should be the object. Of our worship, and if He's the object of our worship, He's given us, He's told us how He'd like to be worshipped, how He'd like to be approached. Um, that's not something we have to guess about. So that would be my only uh, thought, right? For those who take the view, right, that um, that, and, and they're very, very, very sincere and they love God just as much or more than I do so it's not, it has nothing nothing to do with you know you know I'm more righteous than somebody else or whatever It has nothing to do with that it just has it just it's just to me it's let's if we know the truth if we know the truth is that the origins of Christmas are largely pagan and the overwhelming scriptural evidence is that Messiah was not born on December 25th and was more likely born at the Feast of Sukkot, if we know the truth, then why would we continue to perpetuate an untruth? And that's sort of where I end up on the uh, on the issue. But, so, did uh, um, I anything else? Oh, a little tidbit. Christmas trees specifically prohibited according to Jeremiah 10. Hmm. Um, so uh, so there is Messiah uh, and the connection to Sukkot. Comments, questions, other thoughts before we wrap up?
0: Incredible. The second time I've heard this. It just gets me every time.
5: Well, as we often say around here, God's a genius. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you had
4: mentioned can't like, okay, you. Or, uh, you, you had mentioned that the
1: early church fathers didn't really acknowledge or celebrate Christmas very much, and I remember stumbling across several Charles Spurgeon quotes regarding specifically Christmas, which are usually, they're, they're not, for the most part, very pleasant at all. He was acknowledging the pagan roots and thinking that it was a distraction. So it was just kind of interesting to just use a specific example to go
5: along with what you had mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, and I grew up in a home, and probably a lot of you guys can relate as well. I mean, my, my family, my mother in particular, of blessed memory, was a Christmas fanatic. I mean, I'm talking a light year was about 8,000 cookies. <laughs> my mother has been known, to rest her soul, 12,000 cookies. Wow. She would give them as gifts. She would make she'd make twenty five or thirty different kinds. She would make these beautiful um, assortments and put them on these nice trays, and that's what she gave to friends and family as gifts. Uh, uh, you know, when I when I when my uh, employer in Houston found out I was moving to Charlotte, they were like, "Well, we hate to see you go, but your mom's still going to bring Christmas cookies." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, I have lots of fond memories of Christmas, lots of great great time. I mean, what's not to like about Christmas, right? It's not about that, you know, it's not fun or it's not a happy time. It's certainly a time of family. I mean, all of that is good. I'm strictly approaching the topic this evening from the standpoint of the scriptural basis as it relates to our worship of the one true God. Christmas has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible if we are intellectually honest ourselves so. mm. and so therefore my current view is
1: I'm not interested we've seen through scripture that God doesn't like when we mix things that are of him with things that are not of him you know we're not he specifically made us for good, not for good and evil, as evidence just you know, as far back as the, the tree in the Garden of Eden. So it's that, it's that combination of two things, which, uh, that syncretism, if you will, that is abhorrent to God. And I think that with the evidence presented thus far, if it has, you know, looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, then most likely is a duck. So it's, you know, this might be one that you'll, you know, depending on your level of conviction,
5: you'd want to avoid. Yeah, and I mean, and that's, that's the goal here. The goal is we should always be challenging how we think, why we do what we do, all of that. Um, whether we're talking about Christmas or whether we're talking about wearing a keeper or well, it doesn't matter what the topic is, we should always be asking ourselves why is it that I'm doing what I'm doing, right? What what motivates me and what's the basis for it? So, um, all right. Come oh. okay. Is there
4: any um, corroborating evidence, similar to what Brock said about, uh, you got a lot of people moving around, synthesis being taken, um, you know, lots of people gathered. I mean, it gets pretty cold, in that area of the world in the middle of the winter it's it's really not great to be traveling uh, during that time so at a minimum it would just make more sense that lots of people
2: knowing about on one of the festivals when it's mild and also and well, just a dog talk yeah. t- t- attached to that um the uh israel is very unusual compared to what we're used to here they actually, for, the temperature is one element, but the other one is rain. In in Israel, in the Middle East, it doesn't rain at all, literally at all, between the months of, like, May and the end of September. Sukkot, uh, middle of beginning middle of October, is is traditionally associated with the beginning of the rainy season. And even then, it very rarely rains more than, like, maybe once a week at most. I mean, you're talking very little rain. Once you get to December, especially the end of December, you're hitting the rainy season you're gonna get big storms and downpours and whatever else so just even from to your point forget the cold I mean even if you want to say you know well 45 degrees isn't that bad it's like it's also a really icky so time but, but keep in mind yeah. around Sukkot is not winter time mm. yeah. right what I'm saying is it December would be so Christmas does not make sense really to be doing a lot of traveling Around that time of year, just simply because so sending so unless the Romans have a really you know malicious streak in them, which they do, um, sending everyone to go traveling in the middle of rainy season is just mean as, as opposed
5: to this it's
2: culture. Gonna a,
4: it's going to be a bad camp. So, so at a minimum, with that logic, it would either and if you couple hey things like this usually happen around one of the feasts of Israel, you've narrowed it down to either. Um, the fall, the, the, the spring, or the summer. Yeah. But, but yeah. certainly, probably not. Yeah. And, and by the way, I should point out
5: that if I'm wrong, if my theory and my understanding of all the evidence is wrong, and Zach didn't have his visitation on Sukkot, maybe he had his visitation at Passover. Or maybe he had his visitation at Sukkot. Either way, when you work through the chronology, Messiah was born on, on unappointed mm-hmm. on Odin. Mm-hmm. He was either born, he was born on one of those three.
2: Hmm. It's still kind of cool,
5: regardless yeah. of which one it is. <laughs> right. I so just have to tell you. can't be proven
1: Todd Garner is asking the question, so they went to pay taxes during this pilgrimage feast? Uh,
5: well, to, to the point that Brock, raised. Yeah. Which it's, is it's, uh, it would make sense but exactly. they would take the census then because they knew people would be congregated. Right. You know, so it was efficient. Sure. The, pay, there was like a period And
0: even if there was a tax, it's not a problem to pay a tax. We're commanded to pay taxes, sure. unfortunately. Unless it's Shabbat. I have a question about that though, but it says everybody should go to his own hometown. Everyone's in Jerusalem.
2: What do you do? Well,
3: was, were we talking about paying the tax or taking census? Same. same, same? Yeah.
2: Well, it was that particular, yeah, that story. Um, well, I don't know exactly what, it, what occurs there. It may be, if linking it with, a, with, a, with this festival helps the people already traveling, because you have to think, too, they talk about agricultural society, so um, you don't really have you know, paid time off, per se, but if you're up and about, you've already set aside the farm, put things in lockdown mode, you know, whatever, um, that might be a more advantageous time to be traveling. So just because they have, if Yeshua, Jesus, is born at Sukkot, does not necessarily mean that the Roman um, census deadline was during the week of Sukkot. It may have been the day after, it could have be been the day before. It could be, they're just taking advantage of the traveling season. It would be kind of like if somebody were to say, hey, everyone go to your hometown on Memorial Day weekend. Everybody it doesn't have a Memorial Day, but everybody's traveling that weekend anyway, so it makes sense to be there's
4: that too and then the only other one I've heard about weather or you know, time of year is um, in the, the story uh, there were shepherds in the field watching their sheep. you know and would they this would be in the field if it was uh, you know
5: a less desirable time of the year like cold and rainy so a couple well, of like cooperating in that particular instance I think it was winter. It was the beginning of winter. It was December. What would be December on our calendar?
2: Because well, the
5: shepherds, the shepherds. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you're, you're right. I was confusing with the visitation. Yeah, the right. so yeah. argument I heard was
1: that the sheep would be out before rainy season, so that's why the sheep aren't there in December.
2: And also, um, it would make a lot of sense for this time period for the shepherds to be, let's just say there'd be a lot of sheep around, because Bethlehem, for those of you who are not into the geography, is not that far from Jerusalem. So you've got that, from what I understand, is traditional that that area is used as like grazing ground, for the temple flocks, yep. so you would have your sheep that you're going to take with you up to the temple. You'd be, you know, it'd be uh, living in that general vicinity. So shepherds are going to be there taking care of the temple flocks that time, especially that time of year, because Sukkot you got everybody coming in, and there are literally at a minimum you're talking, you know, dozens of, of offerings required, not mm-hmm. counting all the ones that people are bringing individually. So you've got a lot of stuff happening. Which is why, you
5: know, if if you've ever ever asked yourself, why did the host of angels, why did the heavenly host decide to show up and announce the good news to shepherds first? Why weren't they ordinary shepherds? Say that. They weren't ordinary shepherds. Why weren't they ordinary shepherds? Well, to what was saying, they're probably looking over the flock that was intended for the temple service. Mm -hmm. So... Here you have specially trained shepherds who tend to the lambs used in temple sacrifice. Well, okay, now that makes a little more sense because the they're, we're, we're announcing, right, the king of Israel, um, the lamb of God, as it were, right, to the shepherds whose whole career and mission and purpose is to guard and watch over. The lambs that are used in the temple. There's prophecies in in Malachi and elsewhere regarding um, a particular place called Migdal Adair, which is translated as Tower of the This was a this was a particular tower in Bethlehem that uh, the shepherds would at night would set up in this tower so they could kind of look out over the fields to keep watch. By night of the flock um, that particular place is significant prophecy and that particular place is in the hillside uh, in the hillside just right outside Bethlehem so all of that connects back to the prophecy that the king of Israel will be born there etc. Et so.
0: I was just going to add on to what you were saying Greg that even the master himself refers to himself
2: as the good shepherd any other <clears throat> thoughts, comments? Yes. One other tie-in to all of the different traditions or the narratives associated with the birth of Yeshua um, the Magi um, start seeing the star start looking for him sometime around his birth, that's what Herod, Herod goes backwards, he says okay well they have been they started looking for him at this time so you know, estimate up to two years, the kid could be two years old by now, so there's some, some vicinity around there, well Sukkot occurs um, not long after Rosh Hashanah. About 15, days 15 days later. Yeah, 15, yeah, 15 days later. And in that stretch, Rosh Hashanah was always associated with the uh, start of a new kingship. It's sort of like what we would have as Inauguration Day of the President of the United States. So um, that was you know, the, the King New Year, so to speak. So it would make a lot of sense for the star that attracts the Magi's the sign in the heavens to be associated with that. Time of year. And more importantly, it would make a lot of sense for the, the Magi, especially if they were, um, some traditions say they may, or some thoughts as they may be linked to Daniel, who was of course a Jewish Babylon, uh, sage in Babylon um, way back in the day. Mm-hmm. If, they, if they are linked to his path of study, then they would be thinking to look for a new king Around the time of the crowning of a new king, it right. would just make sense, right? Yeah. But by the way, one last little
5: tidbit: the year of Messiah's birth. You know, when what year was he born historically? Uh, the evidence suggests that it would have been between four, the year the year six and four before the common era, uh, in most scholars point to that as the most likely time because the marker is the death of Herod and Herod died in four before the common era so we know Yeshua obviously was born prior to the death of Herod and depending on you know how old he was when he went down to Egypt and all of that you know somewhere between infant and two years old is the, the consensus so he would have have most likely been born between the year 4 and 6 before the common era.
1: There's really a bunch of cool details in in Luke's account but to your point about the church fathers and even the apostles not celebrating necessarily the the birth of the Messiah in, in Matthew's account I think it is there's, it just says in this year of Herod's reign, it doesn't even say what month or what season or or anything, doesn't give us any kind of specific time markers. It's more like, okay, well, it happened. And that that follows Jewish understanding of, you know, we honor people as, you know, marked by the date of their death rather than the date of their birth. And so that would would also make sense as well.
4: Mm -hmm. Good thoughts.
0: Can you, for the big man, can you Uh, put that back on that uh, table you've got that ends with the yellow deal and leave that up so that um, as we, uh, yeah, number nine, yes, as we, uh, as we spend, uh, oops, Uh,
5: Oops. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) what was that, what was
0: that? that? How do you make just this one slide? Double click on the slide. Just try it. right click right. and say play.
3: Just blow on it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um,
0: when you go to... No, uh, go to play on the menu at the top. That's what I just go to play at the menu on the top.
3: View. Just
5: play a the left. The, uh, not the recording because I don't get the audio from my original. I want that view button
3: to the far left. Enter full screen. Other view. How the many feet? IT guys does
4: it take? Far left. Far left. Far left. View. Right. Get get some some Slide
1: only.
2: Come on. Up, up, there. Second oh, one! I oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, my I goodness. Why don't, I don't do you use that? Go <laughs> go back here again. There. Good of you. Oh. Second up. Wow. Hey-oh. Hey, good, good enough. enough. <laughs> there it hey. is. Hey. Okay. <laughs>
5: we'll still keep him. Man. Man. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I yeah, I don't know if you... Yeah, like, Okay.
0: Um... Let me pray for you before I do so. Um, An encouragement. That was incredible,
4: wasn't it?
0: There are men in this room who are normally not with us. If you want a glass of wine, see Johnny or Brock, they'll take account. We'll start pouring. Spend some time, it's still a little early. Um, speak to uh, my brother, Fred. Speak to Rob Van Hoff and see if he, t- you know, he thinks there was any kind of validity in this class, which, you know, this might be <laughs> worth hearing. But if he says no, don't let Greg know. Um, <laughs> <on> He'll <laughs> a next week. Say, say hi <laughs> say to my father-in-law, Henry, as well as to David McDonald, let me pray for you. Oh, if, you're, if, if those guys are busy being talked to, then bring this man up to speed on that table and what he missed just before he walked in Okay, how many people can do that Okay, good 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 may you taste of the sweetness of the world to come in this life may you see your children's children come to faith may your end be with the life of the world to come and your deeds affect the hope Of many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding of Torah. May your mouth speak wisdom to everyone you meet, and may your tongue bring forth song as you praise the Holy One. Blessed is he. May each of you have the self control to look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah. May your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, your heart rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the ancients of days. Amen. 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 God bless you, you.